0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. I'm sorry, if it's your first time, sorry. I'm, uh, my name's Tim, I'm one, of the, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. This is how we roll. I I haven't showered in three days. I haven't shaved, but I brushed my teeth for you. I I should tell you probably why I'm dressed like this. I, um, well, Wednesday. Let me tell you about Wednesday night. Wednesday night. The reason I, I want to dress up on Wednesday night is because I was in a place that if you went there on Wednesday night looking how you do right now, you would have gotten punked. You look good right now. I just, I'm not insulting you. You look great, man. You dressed up for church, but on Wednesday night, people I was with, I wouldn't work. See, so well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll tell you what happened on Wednesday night in just a minute. There's a reason I've been like this for four days now. Because <laughs> if you, this is hard to get, this is hard to get into. Right. Let's go back. Did you enjoy this song you just heard, Go Tell It on the Mountain? Can we hear it for our campus fans? You did a great job, man. That's awesome. But I always wondered about that song because it's an African-American gospel song. But it's sung at, as a Christmas carol because it celebrates, it's in like the 1800s, the birth of Christ. It says, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. And I'm like, well, who are they telling it on the mountain? Who's out in the mountain that they want to go, you know, tell. And according to the lyrics, it's shepherds, right? You guys know this about the Christmas story. It says, while shepherds watched their flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there came a holy light. The shepherds feared and trembled. They got a few lyrics we're going to put up on the screen. But you see the emphasis on the shepherds. And the idea here is that the news of Christ's birth came first to people who were living out in the elements, in the cold, who were nomadic. It means they didn't have a home. They had. Sheep, they wandered around, and they didn't make much money. And so many ways, shepherds were homeless people. In fact, they were constantly on the move. And if you look at Luke 2, the original scripture account of Jesus' birth, it says this. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And why don't you imagine these people living out like in the fields, and all of a sudden, what? And they were terrified. They were bugging out. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Here's good news, salvation. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord. And this will be a sign. Watch. You'll find a baby wrapped in what? Say it together. Wrapped in cloths. The actual translation is rags. You're going to see this kid wrapped in rags, lying where? In a manger, feeding trough. You're going to see a baby wrapped in rags in the gutter. What's interesting, it says, when the angels left them and went to heaven, the shepherds, the homeless people, said, well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about, and it ends this way. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who's lying in the the gutter. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they'd been told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the homeless people said to them. See, at Christmas, is significant to remember that God first entrusted the good news of salvation, Jesus Christ, to who? To the poor shepherds. See, in the ancient world, shepherds lived in the mountains, on the hills, basically surrounded by their flocks, and they were the rural poor. They were nomadic. They just moved around from place to place. They didn't have a formal home. They eked out a subsistence living, and shepherds were very much on the fringe of society, and they typically... Weren't educated, so they were illiterate, and people treated them like social outcasts. In fact, check this out. Homeless shepherds were considered so dodgy, their testimony wasn't admissible in a court of law, because people saw them and said, no way, man. And yet God says, I want to choose homeless people to give the first news of salvation to, and I'm going to base the testimony of the entire Bible, the gospel, on them. Illiterate, poor, homeless people with a dodgy reputation. Why would God choose shepherds to share good news? The answer is to show that the good news of salvation comes first at Christmas to those on the fringe. Not to the halls of power, not to the rich and the privileged or even the middle class, but to the working poor, rural poor, urban poor, it doesn't really matter. From the beginning, what we realize is God has a divine preference for the poor. That's what theologians call it. He prefers to work through the poor in poverty where the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. As Go Tell on the mountain describes, it says, look at this. Down in a lowly manger, in a gutter, the humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morning." So at Christmas, we're reminded of the humility of, of God, the humility of Christ's coming, that it was about downward mobility. I want you to think about this. At Christmas, God said, here's how I'm going to come to the world. I'm going to take off my robes. I'm going to strip myself of all my power, all my glory. And I'm going to put on what they wear. I'm going to put on human skin. I'm going to enter their mess and make my home here among them and enter into their world. So I can understand what they're going through and they can see my heart. And I don't judge them. But I love them. I've come to give my life for them. That's the context of Christmas. For me, it's hard at Christmas to get in that state of mind because when I think about this, that Jesus was homeless, that he was born into a homeless straw poverty, and then for his whole life he never had a home. He actually says... Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests to rest in, but the Son of Man, me, Jesus, I have nowhere to lay my head. What does that tell you about the Christian God? If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, what does that tell you about the God you worship? And one of the incredible things of Christmas is that tells us that God is not primarily interested in revealing himself through powerful displays of majesty, but revealing himself through the most vulnerable display of humility humility, downward mobility. Christ is born homeless among homeless people, out in the cold, braving the elements, and the gospel comes first to shepherds, illiterate poor people living on the streets. That's the setting of Christmas from God's perspective. So can we just be honest? Here in America, we have a hard time envisioning this at Christmas, don't we? Because we're used to dressing up, right? Wearing our best around the holidays. Some of you look good. Getting new clothes or presents. I got 12 sale circulars in the mail this week. It's a season of warmth where we get together with families you know, and merrymaking. And that, for me, makes it hard to connect with the humility of the first Christmas. So this December, I decided to do something different. On Wednesday night, instead of going shopping at the mall, I spent some time on the margins, on the streets, with the homeless and the poor and the marginalized, the people whose society forgets. Because I was like, God, help me see those fresh eyes. And so I was like... If Jesus were born in New Jersey, not ancient Israel, where might he be born? Maybe not the rural poor in Bethlehem. How about the urban poor in Newark? Maybe in the Ironbound section around Penn Station where the homeless are. Maybe the gospel wouldn't come first to shepherds, but to the senior citizens and the forgotten veterans and the sick and the mentally ill and the disabled and the addicted, the ones that society drives by and says, you know what, roll up your windows, kids. Don't bother with people like that. They don't really count. As some of you know our church is privileged to partner with an incredible ministry called the Relief Bus. It's a nonprofit ministry that serves the homeless in New York City, Patterson, and Newark, and they offer Christ-centered compassion to those who are living on the streets. And what happens is we take the buses and retrofit them as mobile service centers so that we can feed meals to people living on the streets, warm soup and bread to the hungry, or connect the homeless to shelter or supplies that they need. We connect the sick, we give them medical attention and connect those who are addicted if they're ready for rehab for the drug or alcohol addiction we connect them to treatment and discipleship and in 2014 this church liquid we are excited to expand our partnership with the relief bus by sponsoring a brand new outreach at a location in downtown newark the heart of penn station because that's where the heart of homelessness is in new jersey and this is exciting because if you've been on a, like a relief bus outreach you know it's powerful to hit the streets and actually, not as saviors, but just to sit and hang out with people, hear their stories, listen to how they got here. Because most people, they just end up on the street. I wasn't born homeless. They have incredible stories. And I was like, I want to understand this because I don't want to just have a stereotype in my head about who homeless people are. I want to give it names. I want to see their faces. I want to feel it in my heart at Christmas. So here's what happened. I'm just going to come straight with you. On Wednesday, I decided to spend the night on the streets and be homeless for a day. And I went... Th- this is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. I told my wife, Colleen, about it. I'm going to be homeless for a day. And she's like, well, it's going to be cold outside. She goes, but you can wear your new ski jacket. That's <laughs> embarrassing. Because I got a ski jacket that has a tag. It says, you know, three-layer alpine technology, right? I'm like, I'm going to live with the homeless around Penn Station in Newark. And I realized... I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> you let that sink in your bones for a minute, the irony, okay? So I actually went to Market Street Mission, a thrift shop, and got you know some clothes and because, because Christmas is about the incarnation. God puts our stuff on, yeah? And he comes and says, I wanna, I'm going to live among you. I'm going to be born in humble poverty in a manger, come to the homeless in the fields, and that's where the gospel is going to come from. So Wednesday night, I was like, I want to incarnate that. And so Pastor Peter from our Nutley campus and I went together. Can we say hi to Nutley in New Brunswick and Mountainside? Glad you guys are with us. And um, we spent the night on the streets of Newark. Newark, you need to know, is among the most densely populated urban centers in the country. It's the biggest here, certainly in the Northeast. And uh, you might be surprised to learn the percentage of homeless people living in Newark is greater than New York City. Listen to what I said, not the number, the percentage of homeless people living in Newark is greater than New York City. Many of them are families with children who have been displaced over the years by the recession and now housing coming, price going up, fewer units available. And so I just had a simple prayer. I was like, God, would you just help me see what you see? Would you help me... Have your eyes for the forgotten and understand the people that we're going to be privileged to serve in, in, in the new year. So let me tell you what I experienced sleeping on the streets of Newark on Wednesday. I went to Penn Station. This is where some of you passed through on the way to the city. And this is the hub for many homeless people in our state because there's public bathrooms and there's benches to lay down on. And because the homeless have nowhere to go, this is where they go. They can actually lay out on the benches there. But you can only sleep for about 10, 15 minutes at a time because what happens is as we sprawled out on the benches and everything... The cops come through, and they go, hey, up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And, and, you, and you're roused up, and they say, walk around, walk around, because they want you to get awake." So you go, okay. So we walk around the benches. It's kind of like, you know, musical chairs. And the cops leave, and then you sit down again. <laughs> and then you try to prop yourself up like this, so they won't nail you for actually loitering on the bench where the commuters are. So we spent some time, and the people I met, let me introduce you to a few. This is George. George became homeless two years ago, but now lives at Penn Station. He spends most of his days just sitting on the bench. You can see him there, slumped over. Tim Boatman came to New Jersey from Indiana. He heard there was work. Ha ha, cruel joke. He arrived in 2011 and has been living at Penn Station ever since. Victoria has been homeless for over a decade. She cries very easily about it, sweet lady. See, some of the folks at Penn Station are mentally ill, yes. But some are senior citizens who can't afford housing. There's a variety of veterans who have served and haven't integrated in society. Some are addicts. Everyone has a story, though. The population in Newark of homeless people has exploded over the last 10 years because the recession increased unemployment. And so what's happened is the poverty level is now 31% in Newark. It's 13% across New Jersey, so it's flipped understand and there's a lack of housing because what's happened is you hear about the renaissance in newark but what they've been doing is knocking down the high-rise projects like the seth boyden projects because they're gang infested so they knock those buildings down and build low-rise ones which is a great thing but if you have 500 people living in a building and they knock it down and then can put 200 families you have 300 people who are instantly displaced put on a waiting list living on the streets or penn station and so on wednesday i I got to meet some i met milagro an amazing lady, she, uh, she's from the DR. and she told us she'd been homeless for 16 months. She was working at Newark Airport, and she lost her ID, which is a major problem if you're homeless. It's a big deal. If you lose your ID, she lost her job. They were like, you got to get a birth certificate. She's like, I'm from another country. Stuff that you or I would easily navigate is crazy complex if you don't have a home, you don't have a job, you don't have a computer. So Milagro started living at Penn Station, We were talking with her, and her face lit up about her son, Christian. He's serving in the Army right now, and she's like, I don't know, he's going to come home for Christmas, but I don't know where to meet him because I don't have an address, so I'm I'm hoping I'll meet him here at Penn Station. I said, where do you sleep at night? She goes, I have a nice place outside by the trestle. I was like, why do you sleep outside? Because the shelters in Newark close at 3 or 4 p.m., and so if you miss that, you're out in the streets for the night. So a lot of the homeless, they... They spread out on the commuter benches, as I said, try to sleep, but the police don't allow that, and so as we're there, the police come in, wake up, wake up, 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 so you know, all that, and, and that happened until about 11 o'clock when the police go, closing time, closing time, it's like the bars, like last call, you know, closing time, everyone out, come on, up, out, 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 so you just get your stuff, and you get up, and you go out, and we got kicked out into the night, and Pastor Peter and I said to Malaga, we're like, so, so where do we go now? And she goes, well, I have a nice spot. I have a nice spot right by the trestle. And, and she got her blanket, and she got her cardboard. See, when you then head out into the night in Newark, the first thing to go are the good benches. The benches are the first to go because you don't sleep on the concrete. They keep you warm. So the, all of a sudden, it's like VIP sitting, <laughs> and everybody gets their bench. But then if you're, just, if you're new, man, you got to go with Milagro, and you hopefully will find a storm grate blowing hot air. And she showed us. She goes, here's how how you do it. You put down the cardboard, and then you lay out the blanket. She goes, like a burrito. And she lays it out, and then she demos. It goes like this. She goes, you lay it out, and then you wrap yourself, and she goes, like a burrito. I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I like Mexican food. (laughs) I'm not so sure about sleeping like that seems pretty vulnerable. She goes, oh, well, you can see, s- uh, sleep on the stairs. So we slept on the stairs because that's what a lot of homeless people do. They prop themselves up against the wall. That way they can't be attacked from behind, and they see from the front. And so we slept there on the, the stairs, and, you know, this is 12.45, 1 a.m., and I'm dozing off. And it was amazing because there's still commuters. So you try to sleep on the stairs while there's still people stepping over you, around you, The PA system going, train for Dover, leaving in five minutes, track three, track three. And you're you're sort of like aware of what's going on, but dozing off. And then the worst part was we couldn't sleep at all, actually, because the PA system keeps playing Christmas music. (laughs) Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Some of us. At 1 a.m., I finally dozed off in my boots. Someone kicked me in the boots. said, up, out, out. It was the guy who cleans up cigarette butts. And he used a sweeper to kick me in the legs. He said, get out, 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 out. We closed these doors at 1 o'clock. Out. So I kicked out a second time. And so we just walked around the streets of Newark, which is what a lot of homeless people do once everything else shuts down. We walked around Raymond and MacArthur and Frelinghuysen and walked past the Prudential Center. I'm like, I've been, I've been inside that. <laughs> Pack. I thought about the times i have been at a game or a concert there at box seats. And then we witnessed our first drug deal. That was actually amazing. We're, we're, we, heard this, we heard this big argument breaking out like there was a fight, and it was a guy yelling, no, you!" no, And there was a woman he was yelling at, and she was barking in response. She goes, hi, 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 hi. She went, oh, what it sounded like a dog. And we went up to it and realized, oh, he's a drug dealer. This is his street wife, and she's mute. So she's not able to talk. She can't hear. She's deaf. Hi, hi, back, back and forth, back and forth. And as we're watching this, another homeless guy came up to us and said, that's normal, man. That's a domestic dispute. And we're like, Okay. And so as he stood there, then, then, then two street kids come up. This is around 2, 2.30 a.m., and they get their money out. They give $5, and they peel off singles, about $10, and he hands them their little packets. I don't know if it's heroin. I don't know if it's ecstasy. I don't know what it is. And they disappear in the night, and then he just looks at us. He goes, you want some? And we're like, we're good. Got to preach in three days. <laughs> <You know. laughs> and then the police drove by. Just look, because it's an ordinary night in Newark. This is ordinary, and by that time, the temperatures had dropped. It was getting cold. I, I lucked out because it was like 35, 40 when we got there, and it was getting to be 30 degrees at that time. You got to stomp your feet to keep warm, and what I learned is on the streets, oh, socks are gold. Socks are gold. Clean, warm socks, because if your feet get wet or cold, you never get warm again, and what we learned is many homeless people actually have ulcers on their feet. Because of the constant walking around, they never can lay down, so they have very poor circulation. So socks are like gold. <laughs> and we had a backpack of socks with us to hand out. So so we were like, oh, man, we got, we got good things for people, and we are able to give some of those in hygiene kits because that's part of the relief buses ministry. We, we hand out socks and hygiene kits. And so listen to me real quick. If this is, this is talking to somebody, and you're like, I want to get involved. On Christmas Eve, we're going to ask every family to bring pairs of fresh socks to church to your Christmas Eve service at your campus, so the relief bus will have socks for the entire city of Newark for 2014. But here's, here's the sad part. What I learned is that homeless people never rest. They never actually sleep. There was a woman sleeping actually on the concrete. She didn't even really have anything, and her face was kind of right close to the ground everything. It was so sad because we went up to her, and we said, hey, would, would you like a pair of socks? And she looked at us and recoiled in horror. She said, What? What? Get away! Get away! And we said, No, we, we don't mean any harm. We said, We just have socks and we have some hygiene stuff. In the... And she f- recoiled, and what we realized is she thought we were going to attack her. Maybe we were going to rape her. And so she actually dropped her stuff and ran off into the night. And what we learned is a lot of the homeless are often victims of violence on the streets. Stabbed, attacked, or beaten. So some sleep with their arms around their packs, with their eyes open. Some of them just drink alcohol so they can numb out for whatever happens to them. Some sleep in groups for protection. There's actually community there. And many sleep behind bushes and shrubs, hoping no one will actually notice them. And I just learned that the homeless actually never rest, because they're always fearful what might happen next to me. Yaz, our guide from the relief bus, told me about this guy who came to the relief bus with horrific burns over his neck and his chest because somebody threw battery acid on him. So why would, why would someone do that? He said, because the homeless, they're not people in many people's eyes. And so people treat them with inhumanity and the random acts of violence. They're just sitting ducks and targets. And I, let me tell you something. When it got to be 3 a.m. and the crowds were gone, and it was just us and people in the shadows... Your spidey senses are tingling. It it almost drove me buggy because you're desperate for sleep, but you're hyper vigilant about what may happen, and it's actually exhausting. The emotional and psychological impact of homelessness is crushing. Beyond the physical toll, the homeless are subject to constant fear. They're always on the move. They're constantly being hassled. Nowhere to lay your head. You're unwanted. And that's what impacted me the most, the sense that I was invisible. The people who passed by me they didn't see me. They actually just stepped over me or they walked around me, avoided making eye contact. It was funny, at Penn Station early in the evening, a hockey game let out from the, from the Prudential Center. So all these Devils fans came flowing through Penn Station. They're wearing their $300 jerseys. I get that. I have one. All right. And, and, and they actually, and I'm sitting there. We're sitting there, and people are walking around us, and they're stepping over us. Like, we're just part of the scenery. We're just furniture. And so I was like, why? Well, I want to engage and see you know how this goes. So I, I did something I've ever done. I got up, and I sit there. I said, hey, hey, can I have a dollar? Can I, I bum a dollar? Can I bum a dollar? Because I wanted coffee. I didn't have money or a phone. <laughs> I was, was like, I want to incarnate this. And it's amazing because I was invisible. People just, it was like the parting of the Red Sea. They just walked around me. <laughs> One couple, I actually... I stood this way, and they tried to go this way. I was like, hey, can I, can I have a... I'm trying to harass you. I said, but I, I just want a cup of coffee. Have a dollar. And the, the woman, it was amazing, because she, she didn't want to meet my eyes. She just kept looking everywhere else. And the guy looked at me. And he got this hard look. Just kind of looked straight through you, like, get out of our way. Are you kidding me? Don't even approach us. And they parted ways and then joined hands behind me. And I thought about that. I'm the invisible man. And that's when God spoke to my heart, when I realized... I'm usually on the other side of that equation. <laughs> I'm the guy in the crowd coming home from the game or the concert, stepping over, walking around, don't make eye contact, avoid them kids. But for one night, I was on the other side, and it was brutal. It was soul-crushing. It is a devastating feeling to know nobody cares about me or my needs. I actually don't count as a human being, and no one would notice if I wasn't here. I am all alone. I want you to imagine absorbing that day after day, month after month, year after year. The scorn, the hostility, the, the rejection, and you feel all alone, especially at 4 a.m. Crowd fins, guess what? The only people left out on the streets are those who have no other option. <laughs> Scrounging for change, hoping maybe they will find a manhole cover blowing hot air. Why don't you imagine 20 years of that, the bone weariness, the psychological impact. Listen to me. There's a lot of mentally troubled people on the streets in our state. But if you weren't mentally troubled before, you will be. You will be because of the insanity. I mean, what would it be like to live without hope? See, I knew I had hope. I knew I would be getting in my car in a few hours and driving home to a warm house kissing my kids, a hot shower, a family that loves me, and I barely lasted a few hours. What's it like to live that way for years and know you'll never go home? Your greatest hope is that tomorrow maybe you'll get the good bench. Effective homelessness is crushing to mind, to body, but to soul. It has a profound spiritual impact. As Mother Teresa said, we think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry, naked, and homeless. But the poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty. And we must start in our own homes to remedy this. I would add we must start in our churches too, amen? See, at Christmas, Christ Mass, Christ coming, for Christ followers who follow Christ, we realize Christ was born into straw poverty, into squalor. And he came first to shepherds, people living in the cold, out in the fields, who were homeless, who fended for themselves, who had no money. And Jesus said, it's okay. I'm going to have no place to lay my head. And if that's Jesus's mission, it must be our church's mission, especially at Christmas, amen? See, to extend God's love to people on the fringe, we don't need to go back to Nazareth when we have Newark, New Jersey at our doorstep. And God says, I measure the strength of my church on its capacity for compassion, on its willingness to actually see the invisible and get involved. Because we've all been to places, right, where it's easy to walk on by, where nobody wants to get involved, where people kind of ignore the need because it's status quo and you walk on by. And it's funny because on Wednesday I'm praying about this. I'm like, Lord, give me the right heart to join your brothers and sisters. And he led me to James 2. It's this passage in Scripture that talks about playing favorites in the church, putting on services for the mainstream and such, and and while ignoring the needs of the poor right here in our midst. Just let this, watch what it did to my heart. What's it do to yours? James writes this. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, your Sunday service, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Imagine that. (laughs) He says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, go up, put the scripture up. But say to the poor man, you stand there, or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become what? Judges with evil thoughts. I did something evil today. I'm sorry. I apologize. I played a trick on you. I was sitting in the lobby on the way in. And I saw you. Did you see me? Few people saw me. but most walked on by. And I can't I apologize. It was, because I would do the same thing. Some of you actually met my eyes, and you just quickly looked away, because the eye takes it in and filters it through. That's not someone I interact with. That's how I live. Let me tell you something pretty powerful that happened At this service, I walked in the back with my hood on. And the greeters were like, you want a name tag? We're not letting you get through without a name tag, you know. <laughs> Praise God, greeting team, you were on it, you know. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, no, I'm good. And I walked in and stood in the back here. And someone walked up and tapped me on the shoulder, and I didn't turn. They go, sir, sir. I said, yeah. I thought, I'm going to get kicked out here. Someone here on the guest services team said, would you like to sit in the front row? That's the kind of church I want to be part of. You? Thank God for you. We don't come to church to play church. We don't come to play dress-up on Sunday. We come to do the work of Christ being born again in our hearts so he can give us his eyes to see what he sees. And James says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are what? Poor in the eyes of the world to be what? Rich in faith. And to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. Why are the poor rich in God's eyes? Some of you are like, are you kidding me? What do they have that we don't have? Answer, dependency. Dependency humility. When your life is so broken and you got nothing, you'll take anything. It's called a handout. See, I realize I'm a rich person. I'm not rich like New Jersey rich. I'm just middle class guy. But the reality is I have most of my basic needs met. And so what Christmas does is it flips the switch in me that's like, okay, now that my basic needs are met, what extra stuff, material stuff can I get that would increase my pleasure? Joy to the world. We, we don't have a sense that we actually need something. But when you're on the streets, let me tell you, when you're on the streets with a broken foot and you're jacked up and you're hopping around on crutches, that's like that guy we encountered in, in the summer. We went to scout at this location. This guy, his leg is mangled. He's on crutches. And we're like, hey, man, would you like some hot soup? Can we pray for you? And he's like, yeah, sure, man. You can pray. Absolutely, man. And he puts out his foot like this. And he's like, who are you praying to? And we're like, well, we're followers of Jesus Christ. And God loves you. We're not here to convert you, but we're here to love you because God loves us, and we want to pray for you. We believe in the power of Christ to heal broken lives. And he's like, awesome, man. He goes, well, I grew up Muslim, but, man, if Jesus can do it, do it. And he holds off his foot, and we pray for him. And then he hopped up. Want some food? Yeah, he came over to the relief bus. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, to be open to the kingdom of God? See, there's a reason Jesus was born among the poor, There's a reason Jesus made his home among the poor. And there's a reason Jesus' ministry came first to those who were disabled. The leopards, the prostitutes, the thieves, those living on the margins, the homeless. Because that's the message of the gospel. Go tell it at Penn Station, in Patterson, and Newark, and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. That the salvation of God is the only free gift you get in this world. To only the people who are humble enough. Say, i got nothing to offer him. If you're going to save my life, I'm all in. I'll take it. (laughs) Mother Teresa said, the poor are are, our teachers. They teach us. Because in them, we see the face of Christ. And they teach us about the nature of God. It's interesting. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, hey, imagine um, the end of the world comes and everybody's standing there getting sorted out, going to heaven or hell. And he goes, and I'm there, and I'm separating the sheep from the goats. Yeah? The sheep going to heaven. And they're like, Really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, and the way you served me showed that you were an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And they said, How? And he said, Well, remember, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was I was I I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was homeless and you gave me shelter. And they're like, When did we do that? And what did he say? Jesus said, Whenever you did one of these things to what? Someone who was said together overlooked, or ignored. That was me. You did it to me. I want you to imagine. In other words, when you walk through Penn Station, you see that it's like Jesus in disguise. See, I think we, a lot of us think we're going to get to heaven, and at the gates, right, there's going to be the angels, and they got wings, and they got yellow sashes. Ah! And there's Jesus, and he's got a blue sash, and he's got feathered hair. And that, but I think, there's a chance we're going to get to heaven and at the gates, a guy like this is going to come up and be like, all right, man, is your name on the list? And are going to be like, wait, what are you doing here? He's going to go, boom, Jesus. <laughs> Punked. You got you. Let's talk about the last 40 years of your life. Let's talk about what you gave your life to, what you invested your money in. Let's talk about the affluence that I gave you. Did you use it to influence those who are poor, who I came to? See, Jesus was homeless. In the eyes of those who have nothing, we actually see Christ most clearly, not at church. I want to show you a statue. This is a sculpture that was recently made and given to the Vatican. It's a sculpture of a homeless man sleeping on a park bench, but look, there's something strange about his feet. Do you notice what's different? There are holes in his feet. It's because the person who made this sculpture, the artist, said, I've been reading the Gospels and what I realized... If I take Jesus literally, that Jesus was homeless and he was, came primarily first for the poor and the rest of us get in on that. So I want to put that out there as a reminder that this is what the gospel is. So let's just get practical. Compassion for the poor is not a fuzzy feeling at Christmas. Because I get it when, it, when you go out shopping and spending, you're at the mall, it's easy to feel like a guilty heart tug. God is not after sentimental charity. Faith Faith that counts in God's eyes is moved to action. James 2 ends saying by this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, brother. Keep warm and well-fed. I'll pray for you. But does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? Now watch this. In the same way, let's read this together. Faith by itself is if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. This Christmas, is your faith alive? Christ is born again in your heart? Or is it dead? Beep, beep, beep. I got to go shopping. I got to get all this stuff done. I got to Do you have the eyes of God to see what he saw at the first Christmas? This is a great question. For me, I got to have that jump start. I need Christ born again in my heart every Christmas. In your program today, I want to get super practical we put a brochure with information about sponsoring the relief bus in 2014. This project is at the heart of this year's Christmas offering. And our church is going to use our Christmas offering this year to pay for 100% of an entire year's worth of meals, ministry, and outreaches at Newark Penn Station. We piloted that location in the summer. as a huge success because it's a magnet for the homeless there. And in 2014, We are going live, and we are going to begin serving on Friday nights, the second Friday of each month. And some of you are going to get to go, and you're going to feed the hungry. You're going to give them soup and bread and hot food. Some of you are going to get to put socks on somebody's feet. And you're going to get to clothe them, and you're going to get to give them, you know, toothbrushes and hygiene kits. And some people who want shelter for the night, you're going to connect them to shelter so they have a place to stay. And some of them with addictions, you're going to connect to rehab for drug and alcohol, because some of them, believe it or not, are ready to get off the street, and they're just waiting for someone who actually cares and treats them like a human being. And most of all, gives them hope. Hope that they're not forgotten, that at Christmas, God remembers them first. And we're reminded that his love comes first to those on the fringe. So here's what I'm asking, two things today I want to challenge you. First, I want to challenge all of you to give sacrificially to this year's Christmas offering. Our goal is $500,000 by the end of the year so we can begin this in January. So understand, 100% of the support for the relief bus comes through what you give to the Christmas offering. And give whatever God has enabled you to give above and beyond your normal giving, okay? If it's $50, awesome. If it's $5,000, awesome. If God's enabled you to give $50,000, I know he has to some of you, Awesome. There is no greater cause that you could give to this Christmas. I want all of us to give, but I want some of us to go. See, I want you to see what I saw, and I want you to meet Jesus at Penn Station on Friday nights and being his hands and feet to our brothers and sisters. So if you would actually like to get involved with the relief bus, we're going to begin signups now in December for the ministry that begins in January. If you have your cell phone with you today, there's a very easy way to get information for it. You simply text the word bus, B-U-S, to the number on the screen. So if you have your cell phone right now, I'm going to leave this up for 30 seconds, you just text the word bus to 40491 and we will send you information about volunteering. Several of our life groups did this in 2013. So you can sign up with your group, sign up with friends, or sign up with your family. Hey, parents, ooh, this is an amazing opportunity. I've taken my kids on the relief bus. It's safe, okay? It's safe. We're actually inside the bus. We do it during normal hours, 7 p.m. It's not 4 a.m., okay? But the reason I want my kids to go on it is because I want them to understand that they live in Oz. And there's another world out there. And so we serve together. So I want... Everyone to give, but some of you I want to go because I feel like we are the luckiest church in the world that we get to do this because you get to have a front row seat to the way that the Holy Spirit changes lives from the outside in. I want you to understand when I say outside in, what that means here's it's not just meeting physical needs that impacts people, it's only the gospel this idea that Jesus Christ. Died on the cross. He came here to suffer. He came and lived in squalor and then suffered and died because God loves you this much and you're not forgotten and you can have a new life through Christ. That transforms people's hearts. When people have broken, jacked up lives and they say, I'm going to get a second chance, that's amazing. I'm in. And let me tell you, it is life changing. To close today, I want to introduce you to a new friend who received new life in Christ through the ministry of the relief bus. His name's David. And David lived homeless on the streets of Newark for 12 years. He's been stabbed five times, shot in the face once. His life took a turn when he broke up with his wife. The pain was unbearable, so he started drinking three pints of wine every day just to numb, numb out. And eventually he lost his job, he lost his home, he lost his family, and began sleeping on the streets, An abandoned factories and buildings, and he ate out of dumpsters. At one point he started selling drugs to make money, but he told me, he said, the worst part was, I was my own best customer. (laughs) And so after a few years, the relief bus came, and they gave David warm food. They gave him a blanket at night, and one leader, he said, one leader gave him the socks off of his feet. And David said, whoa, maybe this Jesus thing is for real. And so we connected him with a rehab and discipleship program. And with his physical needs met, began ministering to his spiritual needs and presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what the Holy Spirit did in David's life is a miracle. I'll let him tell you the rest of the story in his own words.
1: Well, when I, I meant to leave was some years ago. Uh, they used to come on Friday nights to feed the homeless and the hungry. And for years, I would just go to the relief bus to get the hot soup and the chocolate at night. And, uh, I mean, there were times in the middle of the winter, as I said, I was literally sleeping outdoors. And they gave me warm wool blankets to keep me warm at night. I mean, I was outdoors, little. I have been using drugs for like 40 years, minimal, but it stopped being fun. And then it became dangerous, very dangerous. The people grabbed me, they wanted their money for the drugs. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, I am just so glad there's an organization called The Relief Bus because they really did to help save my life. These people pistol with me with, uh, with guns before they shot me in the face. And I literally went down on my hands and knees three times. Uh, the third time I couldn't get up anymore. When I contacted Lance and I told him I had enough, I wanted, uh, I really did want to uh, change my life. You know, I wanted to get away from, from the drugs, and narcotics altogether so he called the director of the Jericho Road Men's Home here in Patterson, and uh, he advised them to uh, to bring me up. But that's when I really found out just how spiritually dead I really was. I had no idea how I allowed myself to, uh, to be separated so, so, so far away from God. And I'm telling you, God is cool, man. God is real. There's no essence of what's about that God is real, man. All of this is possible. I'm no longer homeless. Praise the Lord! How do you see that? See that? That's keys to my own apartment. None of this would have been possible without the. Uh, had I not gone to the relief bus. Is
0: that amazing? Can we hear it for the relief bus for their ministry? It's so powerful. The gospel saves lives, not just physically, but spiritually. It breaks strongholds. It, it heals broken thinkings, patterns of poverty and addiction. It restores broken lives to hold. It's the gospel. If anyone is in Christ, he's a what? A new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Guys, today we have a special guest in our church. I want, to give, I want you to give the biggest liquid welcome ever to my friend and your brother in Christ. David. Will you come up here, Dave? Thank you, man. God bless you, man. <laughs> right. man. What's up? Praise God for you, my man.
1: Amen. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hey uh I just wanna say that uh, I appreciate the applause, but uh I just wanna say that um I really do appreciate all the uh the good things the Relief Bus does. The Relief Bus does a lot more than uh, most people think. They took me to the hospital and they gave me a chance to, to be detoxed from a heroin addiction and alcohol. And then they took me to a homeless shelter. Then they took me to hospitals where I had surgery. They, they, but they don't just do this for me. They'll do this for anyone, anywhere, New York, North, Patterson, and they need it here in Patterson, too. And so does Morristown. They they do so much all year round. You know, it's one of the best organizations I've, uh, I've ever had the pleasure of connecting with, along with the Liquid Church. That's cool, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can we thank David for coming all this way? I'm like, you're going to hear the... That's a living... Christmas is about the incarnation, God becoming one of us, and you are a living inspiration that we see what the gospel can do. It can change someone from the outside in, and you are a new creation, and we praise God for you. You're part of our family and the spiritual family. Would you just take a moment, all our campuses, I want to pray for David, and he really represents all of our brothers and sisters who we have the privilege of serving in the new year, so bow your heads with me, would you? God, praise you for David. Thank you, Father. You lifted him out of the pit and set him on firm ground, and you've given him new life in Christ. His sins have been forgiven, but most of all, Father, you have begun and put a new heart in him, Father God. You've set the lonely in families, and now he's part of our family, and we are honored, God. We are privileged to stand alongside and be the hands and feet of Christ to more and more people in 2014. God, I pray what happens at Penn Station in Newark, We will see more Davids in 2014 by God's grace. God, that you came for me, that you came for David, that you came for every single person under the sound of my voice, God, at Christmas so that we wouldn't miss your heart. Give us your heart now at Christmas. Give us your eyes to see what you see. Break our heart with what breaks yours and let us see the gospel. Be born again, Jesus Christ, in this church. It's in your name we pray. Everyone said together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Give me a hand coming all the way out, brother. Grateful for you, man.
1: Thanks.
0: Grateful for you. Guys, this is my greatest joy as, as a pastor being part of this church that we get to give ourselves to something that has eternal significance. Think about this. David was saved physically. That's the first part. But then he was saved spiritually. That's the second part. And I be, believe that God has given Liquid Church a special Calling to incarnate the gospel in word and deed with compassion, amen. So, we're going to close today's service by receiving our offering. All right, so at all our campuses, ushers, you want to come forward with the popcorn buckets? You guys know why we'd use popcorn buckets, by the way, to receive the offering. Church, I grew up and they passed um gold plates. You ever, you ever see that? The plates that are made of gold. And I always sat there thinking, Wow, you got gold plates, you need my money. I was like, We're not going to spend money on use popcorn buckets. Because remember, we're a tithing church. It goes out. It goes out to people who can't pay us back. And so in your program today, there's a special envelope marked Christmas offering. And you can use that to give your gift today. You'll see the verse on the front is Matthew 25. Whatever you did for someone overlooked or ignored, you did for me. And you can drop that in the offering, the popcorn bucket, or give your gift online at liquidchurch.com. If you don't have it with you, just drop it in the mail this week. It's got to be postmarked by the end of the year. But I want to remind you, this is above and beyond compassion gift. We still need you to give to the regular offering to support the regular ministry we do every week here at Liquid. But take a look at that brochure when you get home and understand 100% of what you give will help fund the Relief Bus Project in 2014. Entire year's worth of meals and ministry and outreaches in Newark. So give sacrificially. This is our gift. Colleen and I are giving Our gift today, at the beginning of December, we always take a little bit of time, talk about what we want to sacrifice as a family so that our treasure will be where God's heart is. So I'm going to give this today to the popcorn bucket. And understand it's a down payment in the life of men and women like David who are closest to God's heart. I want to challenge all of you to give and some of you to go. Let's pray right now. God, as we give back to you, we realize you gave up everything. For our sake, you became poor so that we might be rich in Christ. We thank you with our eternity secure in heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ. We now can live lives of significance on earth. And we pray may your kingdom come and your will be done through these gifts. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com